have a somebody dies and they ask the monks to come and chant the funeral chants the, the main one is as most of you know Anicca Vada Sangra Ubatavaya Tamino Ubatitavaniruchanti De Sangubatsamosako which is a reflection usually you stand around the the, the dead body all conditions are impermanent that which uh, arises passes away and in the passing is peace and so this interpreted from western conditioned mind sounds almost like a, a, the idea that death is the answer to everything just when you die then there's peace but that's not it's not a doctrine doctrinal teaching it's a reflection that whatever arises what is whatever all can all conditions are impermanent whatever arises ceases and in their cessation is peace so then say in this peace vigil the allowing the conditions that have arise that have arisen to cease there's nothing to do with your your body dying I'm not asking you to commit suicide but to observe this is, remember this applies to conditions not to just uh, the rupa kanda so this is a reflection that takes us to a realization of peace true peacefulness contentment they say nibbana is the highest happiness when we think of happiness as as uh, some extreme kind of elation you know some some magnificent emotional state or the greatest happiness nibbana is non-attachment non the realization of non-attachment is the sense of relief liberation what what is more beautiful than that i can't imagine even even any kind of conditioned happiness as being more beautiful or better than the realization of non-attachment or realization of non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion realization of desirelessness because you know very well and if you have, uh, say, worldly happiness we were talking about this this afternoon we hadn't even though we get can get very happy uh, uh, on the condition realm, it takes us to depression because if we're if our sole e- effort in life is aimed towards that kind of conditioned happiness, we're always going to be disappointed because even though we might be able to get some moments of happiness, it's impermanence. And then the more extreme the happiness is, the more dreary life becomes because we can't sustain that kind of happiness <coughs> for very long and it, not very long it, it goes and then we feel depressed a sense of despair and 
disappointment and life is just awful, horrible because what we loved, what we what made us happy is not present anymore. So non-attachment is is a happiness that we can realize wherever we are because it's not dependent upon conditions. It's not dependent on whether you're healthy or sickly, young or old, or your success, uh, worldly success or a failure, or people love you or hate you, or whether it's being fair or unfair, or whether life is is uh, what you want or don't want, th- th- that kind of, it's the non-attachment to all those conditions. So in our peace vigil, this more and more we're seeing peace as non-attachment. Allowing a condition that has arisen to be the way it is. And I'm especially emphasizing the jitta this time, the, 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 the mental state, the way it's, it feels as a mood. Whether you feel discontented how many of you sometimes just feel terribly discontented with things? You feel a sense of just something not right and something maybe slightly dreadful or ominous or just not not very feeling very good. You can't not to, you can't blame it on any particular thing. So that is a condition of the mind. We can, we when we see it, we can allow it to be the way it is, rather than try to to uh, get rid of it or to indulge in it. Discontentment, dissatisfaction, worry. How many of you worry a lot? The feeling of what if things? What if something goes wrong? Or, or the sense of feeling in, in your own about yourself as being maybe you're not, maybe you're not uh, very, maybe you can't get enlightened, or maybe there's something you know. Maybe you don't have enough accumulated barometers, or maybe there's a screw loose, or something missing, or. That feeling, whatever it is, a feeling of, of confusion or discontentment. So being at peace with all that, with, with a feeling of doom or a feeling of dis-ease, is allowing it to be the way it is. But knowing the way it is, allowing it to feel the way it feels, even if it doesn't feel good. And by allowing it to be the way it is, then you'll, you'll realize its absence when it ceases. So there's this, this uh, marvelous ability we have to witness, observe, reflect upon. All conditions are impermanent, what arises ceases, and in the cessation is peace. With the Gulf War, really take that perception. How does it really note what it 
how it affects your mind. Like, deliberately think there is this Gulf War now, war, high-tech war. So that you're, you, you're thinking the thought within, in, intentionally thinking that this perception of war and observe what it feels like, that perception of war. And then when I think that perception of the Gulf War and this, and I feel there's a, there's a feeling of sadness, and I feel this sadness. It doesn't, doesn't inspire the mind, does it? It tends to be an unpleasant perception. For me, anyway, this is how it affects the mind. Just, thinking out loud, reflecting out loud for you. You can feel the way you want, just recognize the way you're feeling. And it's frightening to think of it. You realize the frightening power, the power that's in the hands of countries like the United States, Britain, that have this weapon, weaponry, and then this, this uh, Saddam Hussein, this, this man that is so determined to push the, the whole world to, into a war, and how willing the whole, all these uh, countries are willing to jump right in. Baffling. It's, it's, it's disappointing. It's, it's quite sad to think of, say, of uh, all the people that will be killed just because they happen to be in the way, happen to be in the place where the bombs hit, where the bullets are fired. So we can just observe the, the this is, the, the mind is like this, when we, we're, we have, right now, we're sitting here in this shrine room, there's nothing, no direct connection to the Gulf War, there's not a Iraqi in the place few Americans, Brits and French, the Alliance were gathered here. But we don't really identify in that way, do we? And, and yet, just uh, we hear the perception, there is this war. And this is, and just a perception about some place that maybe most of us have never been to, never been to Iraq don't know any Iraqi people either. I don't think I've ever met an Iraqi. So what in it, what in us, what is it in us that, that uh, feels sad about this uh, unfortunate circumstance and this uh, dreadful behavior of humanity? This sense of sadness. It's something that we aren't seeing, we aren't witnessing, we've just heard about. We just hear it through news. We, most of us don't even know anybody involved in it. So we're watching our jitta, our mind. This is, this is the mind, it's like this. There's feelings of sadness or, or confusion or fear over just something that, something abstract to us, isn't it? We're not on a battlefield, we're not in Iraq, we're not in Kuwait. 
it's not directly directly affecting us in any in any way right now. And yet, just the the knowledge of war of Iraq, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Israel, the alliance, Saddam Hussein, all this can bring a strong mood into into our consciousness. It's a mood, isn't it? It's what I would call some kind of mood or mental feeling. I say the dominating, dominating, the most prominent feeling I say is a sadness rather than fear. It's pathetic. Now that is a, is a mental object. That's an aramana. I can, if I if I don't know how my mind works, if I don't know the what the jit is, then I tend to maybe proliferate and oh, it shouldn't be like this. We should the Americans and the Saddam Hussein and the Israelis and oh, we can we could just get very kind of irate, upset, angry. Uh, frightened, distressed. We could take sides. Some of you might be for the alliance power. Some of you might take the side of the Iraqis. And then we could we could go on and have a have a minor battle here in the shrine room over who's right, who's who's ultimately right and who's ultimately wrong. That's where we get carried away with the mood uh, that we're in, we we start acting on, or we just I don't want to know this. I don't want. I, I'm fed up with that golf. I don't want to know anything about. It. I don't want to have to feel anything about it. Just shut up and don't talk about it. Let's pretend there isn't any war. This is, this is we're not, we don't we don't have to. It is not direct uh, affecting us. I don't care. None of my business. They can blow each other up. That's the other extreme emotional reaction. I don't want to know, and I don't want to be bothered thinking about it. Or, but now my my mind, they, my tendency, is to is to try to understand what it is, how the, just the, the, just the perception of Gulf War and the, and the the emotion feeling that comes from that perception. It's like this. <coughs> I'm not getting depressed with sad- sadness. It doesn't become depression until you start identifying with it. Getting negative about it, about everything. But sadness is a is a, is a feeling, isn't it? It's a, it's a, something that we feel. When things, misfortunes or unpleasant things happen or whatever, there's this sense of sadness about it. It's not depressing, not depressing. It's just when you look at something really, uh, like I remember in Calcutta in 1974, with all those uh, Bangladesh refugees never saw anything so completely, so utterly sad. 
to just the, the, when your vision, when your eyes, you had to look on these streets and go into the railway station, all these these poor uh, people just crowded, jammed into a line on the pavements, and it was quite cold in January in Calcutta. Sleeping under piles of rags, I mean, these whole families of Bangladeshis just kind of under newspapers and rags, heaps of kind of like throwaway people almost. Just felt this sadness. It's just the visual effect on the mind, having to look at it. I noticed that my heart felt very saddened to see so many people uh, suffering. I mean, so, so kind of having no place to go, nothing, you know, just just barely surviving. So that's a sad sight. It's the way it is. It, I could get angry. I could blame it on something. I could start thinking, I've got to do something, or I've got to, you know, one wants, when one sees something like that, one wants to do something about it. But it, at that time, it just seemed endless. We didn't know where to start, what, what to do. What seemed an impossible situation. So when you see things that, that brighten your mind, like my image of uh, Avalokiteshvara, the photograph above the on the wall there, and I have the real thing in my room. It's a beautiful image. It it, it makes uh, it inspires the mind. It uplifts your heart. At least it does mine. Somebody gave me this beautiful jewel, a, a kind of heart-shaped jewel, like big heart-shaped jewel, golden colored. It's a, just to look at it, you know, visual visual consciousness. It, it gives it uh, it brightens my mind. Just uh, the impression it leaves on my in through consciousness. Is it the beauty, beautiful impression? That's just the way it is. It's not. It doesn't become my jewel, and, and I have and my image of Avalokiteshvara. Then I'm not going that far yet. But then I'm just noticing, like flowers and beautiful things, brighten say, just to, through visual consciousness. Or when you hear good news, beginning this retreat, and, and Martin and Esna Kaufman came to see me, and they had good news. They said they wanted to come and see me uh, to tell me good news rather than to come and see me about problems. When somebody heard Martin and Esna were coming to see me, they said, oh, they're going to separate and divorce, are they? No. So then they told me this most really good news about uh, they don't have any children. They've been married for years. They don't have any, any they haven't, they've never had any children. And then uh, they told me that when, when, uh, they were teenagers, they were so much in love that Esna got pregnant 
and they'd been in a Jewish community in London. They, this had to be, um, they, you know, they, the family was so embarrassed and that they sent her off. And the baby then was adopted out after it was born. So when they were old enough, they got married, and they've been uh, married to each other ever since, quite happily married, as you well know. And then uh, this Christmas time, uh, Esna gets a phone call, and it's this her her son of 40 years ago ha has been trying to find her, and. Uh, found out that the son was was adopted and the, his foster parents both died in 1976 and from 1976 on he's been trying to find his real mother and so he a 40 year old man married himself and uh, he found somehow faced Esna so they invited him out he, he didn't know yet that his father was also there he goes into the house, doesn't quite know what, you know, he knows Esna as his mother, but he doesn't know what to make of the man. And then Esna says, oh, by the way, this is your father. <laughs> it's like a fairy tale, isn't it? <laughs> Everybody was just, uh, Martin Esner looked in the, the state of mind with utter happiness and bliss, and, but it, quite, you know, quite nonplussed, quite under, you know, is this really, is this true? Could this happen? And not knowing, you know, thinking that this is, seems too good to be true. And uh, so something, you know, that, and they said they never wanted children after that, I guess as a kind of atonement for, you know, after uh, after they got married, they they decided, or they didn't quite consciously do it, but they just never never had any children. So now their son is has a, a, has his his true mother and father, and he doesn't have, and and he's not just a the oddball son. He is the son. So that's good there. That that when I heard that, it brings a, it makes you feel happy. It's a, lovely to hear good news. So the mind is like this, isn't it? The jitta. It feels this way when there's when you hear that story. I feel my mind feels happy. There's a kind of good feeling in it. Can you notice that? I mean, if you, how that story affects your mind. Or we hear stories like gossipy stories, you know, about uh, just worries and, and negative things. Some people only talk in very negative ways. You notice there's some people that that everything they say comes out and they're kind of always with some negative feeling connected to it. Even their humor can be 
can be tinged with this negativity and then when you when if you're aware of your mind you see that then that affects your mind somebody who's always see, see interpreting things in a kind of cynical or negative way in uh, <clears throat> last year in, when I was in Bangkok some people Thai people came to see me and there was a there was a an American lady who works for the American Embassy in Bangkok, and she had just become just discovered Buddhism, and uh, she was really enthusiastic. She'd met Kunwani Lamsam, and she went to some Buddhist class or something, and then suddenly she was really taken to Buddha Dhamma. A middle-aged woman, uh, I think, worked with the with the refugee. Was, it had something to do with refugee camps in Thailand, the American embassy. And she was so enthusiastic, and she was there just so eager to learn anything about Buddhism. And it's in Bangkok. And then then these, this couple came to see me, Thai couple. And they were in a... They were just being really negative about everything. So they came in and and they, everything that came out of their mouth had, had some kind of barb in it. It's kind of like little vipers were hanging on the edges of every word. We were getting very, you know, the American lady, she was talking in kind of this really inspired feeling. And we were all feeling very happy and good. And... And then the, this this couple come in with everything. Everything they say has is is it kind of is like destroys this feeling, this happy feeling. And then when they talk about some mutual friend, and it's always in kind of sneering terms. Did you ever hear what? Did you know that woman? Do you know what she's up to? I think she's crazy. Just absolutely going on like that and then so then I noticed that the, you know the the American lady was uh, sitting there kind of trying to figure what was going on figure out what was going on and and this uh, Thai couple were just going on and on in this negative way it's quite unpleasant isn't it? to be say in this one side of you is is has just been, you know, caught up in this positive enthusiasm for Buddha Dhamma, and then then there's there's a kind of wet blanket, this kind of nastiness enters, and yet these people were quite were quite nice people, but they just seem to be in a real of a they seem to feed this on each other, so they didn't mean it intentionally. I know it was just a habit. And yet, one could see how unpleasant it made the, the environment, just the, the way of talking about somebody else or the world and, 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 and with this kind of sneering, making fun of, looking down upon attitudes. The mind is like that, isn't it? You, with a sensitive mind, you feel it. You've, this is just the way it is. It's not, am I just being overly sensitive by being aware of sadness and elation and negativity, or is it just a human condition? We all have, isn't it? 
But now say in in uh, reflectiveness, reflecting on it, we're 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 acknowledging that this is the way it is. As if we don't understand it, then we tend to be just uh, kind of victimized by people's word. And they, the American lady gets you high, and, yeah, Buddha Dhamma, wow, yeah. And then, then the viperous couple come in, and they, the world is a rotten place with stupid people in it everywhere. Oh. <laughs> and Martin Esna tell you a lovely story, and you go, oh. And then you hear about the Gulf War and you go, oh. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what a day I've had. But we recognize the world is like that, so that that uh, we, you know, people see things in different ways, and they have various reactions, emotional reactions, and prejudices and biases. And some people come in and tell you about, you know, we could, if you called in certain people to tell us about the Gulf War, they'd say it's those blasted Americans, the big bullies, they're just lambasting those poor Iraqis, that country, there isn't going to be anything left of it. It's the whole world now is just taking all their dreadful high-tech weaponry and aiming it at Iraq, and it's just, uh, you know, it's destroying the country, and it's, we're going to have to pay for that, and, and uh, it's really uh, despicable behavior. We can feel, oh, yeah, it is. And then get uh, General Schwarzkopf to come in and he present the American side. You know, this is, you know, we, we've got to, we can't let that man get away with his invasion of Kuwait. We've got to make sure that, that uh, he, you know, that this doesn't happen. And and uh, none of us wanted this war, but we, we more or less have to go ahead with it because, and justify it. We, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you can't, you can't just let a bully come in and destroy, you know, take over somebody else's country like that. You've got to put your foot down somewhere. You can't just kind of think, well, think of all the poor Iraqi ladies who, who are getting bombed and that. We, we can't be sentimental. We've got to be tough and just, you know, stop this this uh, this bully from... You know, if we, we let him get away, then he's after Saudi Arabia and, you know, it's to, today Kuwait, tomorrow the world. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we have to. We have to fight. There's a reason for it. Then somebody else can come in and say, oh, "Well, don't believe General Schwarzkopf. You know where he's at." And then we hear another side and about the British, uh, how they, you know, the 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 effect when when Iraq was a colony of the British and they divided up Kuwait, Iraq, and and how. You know, the, this colonialism has affected the minds of these people so badly, and and uh, it's a, on and on about how it do, it's all due to the, that British colonial period. Think, yeah, it's the, the it's the British, their fault really. It should trace it back to the British, and we can go up and down with with just hearing. You know, my mind 
uh, can can uh, can easily kind of be influenced on all with with whoever is, happens to be talking to me. Librans have that problem, don't they? <laughs> and so you hear you hear the anti Saddam Hussein, and you, yeah, that's true. And you hear the pro Iraqi, yeah, yeah, and then you hear the anti British, uh, the anti American, pro British, pro American. You hear the hear the uh, King uh, King Hussein's version, and then. Mr. Shamir comes and gives his version, and you're going, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> because life is like that. Each has, each believes in their own position. You can, you might prefer one one view over another, but this we can know is that these, the that that. Um, you know, we 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 have maybe a bias. Maybe we're more prone to 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 be for the Israelis and the alliance, and for these these uh, somebody like the villain Saddam Hussein. Or we might be the kind of person that's for the underdog. Those are common in Britain, isn't it? The British love to be take the the you know. Stand up for the for the underdog, these bullies, these big Americans, you know, coming in with their weapons and just lambasting these poor people. You know, it's really unfair. And you think, oh, yeah, it's dreadful because we we feel sorry for the for the the underdogs in Kuwait. Imagine all the dogs that are getting blown up. Well, as the Little children and the women and the old men, old women, and so um, in this reflection, we're not—I'm not asking you to prefer one over the other, but to recognize that how what what the how the mind is influenced—it's like that, isn't it? It's, it's just the way it is as a human being. If you if your mind's fairly open, you're not too closely involved with it, like. Uh, because I don't, I've not been harmed personally by Saddam Hussein. He's not kind of killed my mother and father, and he's not. Uh, I've never been to Iraq, and I don't know any Iraqis. And so, on the level of personal contact and experience, all I know is that he has a bad reputation as being the butcher of Baghdad and and all that. But then. The mind can think, well, you know, it's probably due to, uh, you know, the British cologne, uh, being, having been under the British colonial system and then, then all the mistreatment of Arabs and the Western powers with their arrogant ways. And one can make a good case and support Saddam Hussein and his, the way these snotty Kuwaitis treated him, you know, they, they were, they're really snotty and, Superior because they're so rich and and miserly with their wealth and and he's just you know giving them a good bash. One can even kind of suck it to him, hit him there, Saddam. Give it to him, those snotty Kuwaitis. Show him, a, give him a lesson. 
we could easily get pulled into taking sides. But reflective awareness is it just this is just how things are presented. Notice how the tone of voice or the, the, the emotional power behind what is said. Some people have tremendous emotional power. They say, let's say, if they say, somebody, somebody says, oh, it's a tomato. You go like that. <laughs> oh, God, what is it? And other people say, oh, it's a tomato. Doesn't. So, I mean, it's. Uh, these things, just, just the power, emotional power behind the, just two words like Ajahn Sumato can move your, your heart can suddenly go, start increasing the heart, the pulse rate increases. Ajahn Sumato! Yes. <laughs> How we look also, and then you see somebody, Somebody looks really down or angry or upset, and you want to run away from them. Mm-hmm. Somebody looks happy and and uh, joyful, and you want you want to go to them, you want to be with them. Why is that? Somebody really looks glum and dismal and depressed, and and you know, I personally, the reaction I have is I want to get away. Because it's not attractive, is it? It does it doesn't. It's not a pull in you. It's, it's repel, repulsive. It doesn't that I, I run away, or go away. But if you're aware of how your heart, of what's in your heart at that time, generally, I find the there's a, a sense of wanting to get away, not wanting to have to listen to misery, or somebody's complaints, or somebody's bad news. When apply this also, like in in your own life here in the sangha, where say just whatever happens to you, and just try to 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 contemplate the jitta more than just be caught in reactions and through indulging indulgence or suppression of your mood, because like if somebody uh, spreads bad rumors about you. And you, and then you, you could get very angry, upset by that. But re, what would be more valuable would be to observe the feeling of, uh, of that kind of feeling that comes from feeling that that from the knowledge that somebody doesn't like you, or that you that they people think badly of you, or they spread rumors about you. What is that like as a mood? Be aware of, of what the 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 arom is. Be much more useful reflection than than if than, than just getting caught up in uh, anger, resentment, and despair and depression. Then you can begin to use uh, your your the life the way life happens to be for you for dhamma or realizing dhamma. So that praise and blame and all this, when we get praised, we we want, we observe the the jitta, or that we get blamed for something, we observe this is mindfulness, 
Jitanu Patana Satipatana most uh, helpful way of 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 just contemplating the way it is in regards to emotional reactions and the sensitivity of our human human mind, our heart, how our heart feels. Because this is an, an intellectual operation. You're not, you know, coming from thinking rational thoughts about things being right or wrong or fair or unfair or just or unjust or how they should be. This is this is how the, where your heart, where you're feeling, where your heartfelt feeling, where you get wounded, offended, upset, uh, worried and anxious and frightened and so forth. It's in the heart, isn't it? It's not in your brain. You don't feel frightened in your brain. You feel frightened down here in your guts. You don't feel offended by anything up in your brain. And you, somebody calls you a rotten egg, you don't. You can. Your brain will say, oh, don't be so silly. That's a stupid person calling me a name. Your brain says that. Your heart goes, oh, how could he call me a rotten egg? What have I done? What, feeling offended or being hurt. Say, if, if I should call you a rotten egg. Oh, Ajahn Sumedho doesn't like me. Oh. And the feeling of being hurt, offended by me. Your brain will say, oh, it doesn't really matter. After all, it's impermanent and he's probably just in a bad mood. You can explain it away. <clears throat> say, well, I've certainly lost uh, confidence in Ajahn Sumedho. He's going to call me names like that. You know, it's probably not not his, uh, but he put my confidence in a, an inferior person. But in your heart, how do you feel? You know, what is your, how does your heart feel or your jitta feel? And you're aware, you're not, you're not, however it feels, it's that way, it's like that. And you're aware of that which is aware of that is, is, the Buddha theme and Dhamma. That pattern. And that feeling, say, of being offended or hurt, feelings hurt, is when it's there, you're aware. And you're and you're but you're not indulging, suppressing. There's peacefulness with it. You're being at peace with your feelings. You're not trying to rationalize yourself out of having any feelings justifying how you feel or criticizing how you feel. You're just recognizing this feeling, this mood is this way. And you 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 bear with that mood. And when it ceases in the cessation is peace. So in our in the, say the the in regards to the Gulf War It's not a matter of taking sides anymore, is it? It's just understanding our human state so that we don't, we aren't participating in this war. We're not, we're not 
creating the conditions for a Gulf War or any kind of war. We're transcending that whole that that those conditions that create uh, that create wars. And this is a, a what the Nibbana, the non-grasping, Niroda, the cessation, Viraga, the desirelessness, greedlessness, non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. 